Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Great to see you this morning. Good morning. Great to see you. Hey, do me a favor. Would you turn to somebody next to you and just say, I am especially glad that you're sitting next to me today. Would you do that real quick? I'm especially glad that you're sitting next to me. Now I want you to turn to the person on the other side of you. If it's across the aisle, go ahead and say, I'm not kidding, I really am glad they're here this morning. Would you do that? Just tell them you're really glad they're here this morning. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We're actually going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Going to start off in Hebrews chapter 12 as we finish up a series today that we've entitled Because of You, How to Live a Life that outlasts yourself. It's really about having an eternal impact in our lives. In our first week together, we talked about the impact of our prayer because you prayed and, and how our prayers have an eternal legacy and influence into people's lives and into what is happening in the heavenlies. We saw that today in the passage we just looked at during our worship time. And then we talked about the because you gave. It's the impact of sacrificial giving and how it actually leads people to give glory to God and to be transformed through the generosity of our people. We talked about having a heart of servanthood and to wash the feet of the people in our life. Um, a few weeks ago we had Brian Hausman with us, had a great time, just loved it when Brian was here and he talked about how to pass along the legacy of faith. We talked about because you made a decision for Christ, you stepped across the line, you made a choice. Last week, Pastor Dan, he talked about because you surrendered and it's the impact of a surrendered life, a yielded life to the influence and the Spirit of God in our life, how God uses that for eternity's sake. Today we're going to talk about finishing well. And it's the impact of running well to the end and finishing well and running across the line. And, and, and uh, we're going to be hitting that in chapter 12 and chapter 11 today. I don't know how many of you have ever seen this event before or you've heard about it. Um, it's the Iron Man Iron Woman competition. Um, the one I became aware of was a number of years ago. It's actually the one that takes place in Hawaii. But I found out that they actually do this triathlon all over the world. How many of you are familiar with the Iron Man, Iron Woman? Yeah, you, most of you are. How many of you have actually taken, like you've, you've been involved, you've actually been a part, a competitor in an Iron Man, Iron Woman competition? Nobody. I actually had somebody last night, had somebody last night. Did the whole thing. Well, not the swimming part. He actually rode motorcycle backup on everything. And so he actually, he didn't actually technically compete, but he was part of the race and he did it in California. I, I didn't, you know, until I did a little research on it, I didn't realize how many of them there are. There are actually 40 of them that are sanctioned around the world. Australia, um, Sydney, Australia, San Diego. Actually, there's one in San Diego that takes place right after the one. But the one I, I'm most familiar with is the one that I saw on ABC a number of years ago. It was... That we had cable TV, but we didn't have as many selections as you do now. There's like what? It's it's crazy how many channels we have now. Something like 200 and whatever channels. This was in the day when you didn't have near that many channels, and so I was watching ABC Sports. I think it was a Saturday afternoon, and it was they they were doing this Iron Man, uh, uh, Iron Woman triathlon. And if you're not familiar with it, it is it is quite a feat. Um, 2.4 mile swim. Uh, by the way, open waters, not, not, I mean, not that a pool wouldn't still be hard, but you're fighting the waves, the chops, the wind. 2.4 mile open water swim. You then get, uh, you jump onto a bike. Usually your feet slip right into the shoes that are already on the bike. And they bike 112 miles. 
They then get off, change clothes. They, I think they keep the same shorts, but they, but they uh, no, no, they, I think they get into running shorts. Um, and they, they put on running shoes, and they run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. Any of those by themselves, by the way, is quite a feat. Um, but I, I'm just, I, I'm enamored by this. I, I'm enamored by this race. And, and obviously, um, there's always an award given to the person who finishes first. Uh, usually the first male, first female, and it's a big deal. And, and in fact, there are some really incredible competitions that take place. Uh, different people have different skills. So you might be a better swimmer. They tend to go out front. And then on the, on the biking part, they might not be as good. It's really a fascinating thing. To make it worse in Hawaii, the last, the 26 miles, the last half of it are run through the lava fields in Hawaii. So, I mean, nothing says I'm tired, worn out, hot, and about ready to die than running through lava fields. And, and it's amazing. When you watch the finishes, um, there, some of them, they've got clips of people whose their body gives out. Literally, their body will not respond. Their legs quiver and they go down. And they actually show this one where there are two women who for the last 400 yards of the race, they crawl, and they are having a competition, seeing who can get across the line first, and they're crawling across the line. It's incredible. And what I love about it is that while they give an award for the first woman, first man, the, the, real, the real applause is simply to finish. It's not about finishing fast. It's about finishing. In fact, when you go down through the results of the race, you'll see all these these uh, 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 DNFs that, that did not finish, did not finish, did not finish, did not finish. And you'll see hundreds of them. About 2,000 people actually in the United States actually complete one of these each year. It's just incredible to finish. And my favorite part is long after the winners have already, you know, soaked in a jacuzzi, iced themselves, gone out, had a steak and some potatoes to kind of replenish their bodies. They probably have gone home. They've celebrated. They're probably already in bed. You got people who are still crossing the finish line. And I love them because in the middle of the night, there'll be some cameras there, there'll be a finish line, there'll be people who are actually holding the tape, and then you'll see 5 to 10, 15 people who are gathered around the finish line in the middle of the night when a person crosses the finish line. They're all like, woo, 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 and it's like they are the superstar, which by the way, they are if they finish this race. But they're usually family and friends that are simply cheering them on because it wasn't about finishing first, it was about finishing. And that really is the heartbeat between cha behind chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Because the author to the book of Hebrews is speaking to individuals who are discouraged in their faith. They're people who are coming up against, they want to turn back, they want to give up, they, they want to just kind of call it quits. And so Paul, or Paul, the, that tells you who I think wrote the book of Hebrews, but the author in the book of Hebrews, we don't exactly know who it is, when he writes this in chapter 11, he is lifting up all of these people who evidenced faith in their life, and he comes to chapter 12, verse 1, and here's what he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what that means is, since we have so many who have paved the way through their faithfulness. We have so many great testimonies of lives who finished well. Because of that, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Because your race may be different than other people's races. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to give attention and focus on him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author says, I want you to take a look at faith's hall of fame and I want you to look at Christ and I want you to see how he lived his life, how he finished his life, how he overcame in life, and I want you to use him as the model for your life so that you'll finish well. If you go back into chapter 11, he begins to go through these characters of of renown from the Old Testament. Now, we're not going to look at all of them this morning, but I, I have a series that I have been, for about 20 years, I have been trying to develop and think about doing, and I've never gotten the okay from the Lord to do it, because I think Hebrews chapter 11, by itself, should be an entire sermon series. And I think it'd be great just to go down through each character and take a look at their lives, because there were people who were messy in that list. There were guys, I mean, Samson's in the list of the Hall of Fame. Holy cow, that guy, was a, that guy was a train wreck. And yet he finished well. David, oh my word, David had all kinds of problems. Uh, he had a dysfunction, he had bad marriages. I mean, this guy had all kinds of problems, but he finished well. And it's interesting, when you look at these individuals, they had all kinds of issues in their life, but their lives stand out because they finished well. And so when you look at their lives, there are four common characteristics that just kind of jump out to me about a faith that finishes well. And the first one is that they had an incredibly strong commitment to the integrity of God. They believed that God would do what God said he would do, that God would would be faithful, that he would keep his promises, that God would be merciful, that God would be just. In fact, it's interesting. Look at um, verse 1. Look at verse 1 real quick. We're just going to jump around here a little bit. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now that's an important passage because it's not about simply believing in the existence of God. 95% plus of the individuals in the world believe that there is a God. They believe that there is God or someone like God or a divine creature or some kind of supreme being. They give them all kinds of names, but they believe there is a higher power. That's not what's life-changing. What's life-changing is that you believe that this God actually is a God of integrity and character. That he actually is a good God, which means what? That he may not give you what you want, but he is always working for your highest good. That he is a merciful God. That he is a just God. That he is the holy God. That he is the God who is worthy to be adored. That he is the God who has created all things. And scripture says that he not only creates all things, but that he sustains all things for his own glory. 
that that's the God and that when that God makes a promise to you, he's able to keep it and he will keep it. That's what they believe. Now what's interesting is because it says, if you look down a little further, it says in verse 13, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now, why in the world would they still trust God even though they hadn't received what they had been promised? Because they realized there is a future promise, a greater promise, and God will always fulfill his promise, whether it be in this life or the one to come, whether it be while we're here or when we're gone, God always keeps his word. This morning when we were... um, praying a little bit earlier in our service I read that passage to you out of Revelations chapter 4 and there's one little a passage in there that for me is very vivid because it says that when the heavenly chorus was singing to the glory of the lamb who was slain it says that they had golden bowls of incense now that's a very real picture because in the Old Testament in the tabernacle there actually was in the temple there's a golden bowl of incense and so if you can imagine a, a, a stand a thin pedestal stand that comes up about that high and then there is a, a bowl which would have been made out of gold that held the incense he says that bowl of incense contains the prayers of the saints which means that when you make a request before God, they remain before his throne until he deals with them. And since he's an eternal God who never fades away, until he deals with those prayers, they're always before him. You may fade away, you may pass away, but those prayers stay before him. And by the way, you're saying, wait a minute, I'm not a saint. That's just the prayers of the saint. Um, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ here today, Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, he calls the church of Corinth saints. And they were messy, let me tell you. But because they had been washed, cleaned, and sanctified by Jesus Christ, they were righteous not because of all their things, but because of what Christ had done. So can I just tell you today that you are, if you are in Christ, you are a saint, whether you like to call yourself that or not. And when you pray, your prayers are before the throne of grace until God deals with them. Why? Because he's a God of character. And you not only can live your life based on that, you can finish well based on that. So the first principle that I see that pops out of this is that God is incapable of not keeping his promises. I had to read that three times to make sure I had that right. I I wanted to make sure I had a double negative in there, right? God is incapable of not keeping his promises. Let's say that together. God is incapable of not keeping his promises. None of you believe it. You're still trying to figure out if that's accurate or not. I think that is. Mike, is that right? Is that a good, I said it right? Okay. Mike said I'm okay. We're going to do it. Ready? On the count of three. Ready? God is incapable of not keeping his promises. Number two, people who finish well just think differently. It's just a different way of thinking because they, they put a higher priority. In fact, the way that I would put it, and I haven't said this in any of our services, but I would say it now, is that, uh, that their, their, their faith is theocentric, not egocentric. Th- their faith is not about them. Their faith is all about him. 
And can I just tell you, and it's just starting to become a pet peeve of mine. We live in a world where everybody says, this is my faith, my faith, my faith is mine, my faith is this, my faith does this for me, my faith. That's great. I'm glad you have a faith. But can I just tell you something? Your faith is not about you. Your faith is all about him. And when your faith is all about you, it is a faith that just kind of like goes like that when things go tough. But when your faith is all about him, about his glory, about what, what, it, what it brings out in the life or, or what it brings to him, that changes everything. And it's interesting because he goes down through these characters. For example, um, if you go back to chapter 11, look at verse 4. It says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. And when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks today, even though he's dead. So what he's saying is, is that, fa- that, that Abel impacts our lives today because his testimony of faith actually witnessed to us, to us to us and what did he do by faith he gave God he gave God his best I mean if you really want to look at the difference between the offering that Cain brought and the offering that Abel brought it's not so much that Abel brought animals and that Cain brought vegetables it's the quality of them Abel brought his best He brought the choicest cuts. He brought the very best cuts. God God is not going to look at what you bring him as somehow being inferior if it's the best that you have. If you give God the best you have in your your talents and you give it to him, God uses that and is blessed by that. He's not dishonored by that. It, It may not be of highest quality as someone else can bring, but when you bring your best before God, it is an offering of faith, whether it be financial or talents or abilities or ministry. And when you give them to him, God blesses that because it's the best that you have. You've done so in faith. Noah. Look what it says about Noah. It says, uh, verse 6, uh, it says, and with, uh, by, by faith, Noah, when warned about things that had not yet been seen. Now, now, what is he talking about here? Well, he might be talking about the fact that the world had never seen a calamity like the flood that flooded the entire earth. And I think that's fair, right? It might be what he's talking about. But, but I, happen to be, I happen to be of the belief. Now, I want you to know, you cannot, you cannot prove this uh, scripturally without a shadow of a doubt. But it is inferred to. I believe that it it never had actually rained until the days of Noah. Now we know that's true when God created the heavens and the earth. It actually says that the earth didn't rain. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. It actually says that it didn't rain. But that God watered the earth by springs that welled up from uh, underneath the earth through rivers and through moisture coming out of the ground. And so that's how we know in the early, when God created the earth, we know that that's how it was watered. Wouldn't it be something if the first rain that ever took place was the rain that God used to flood the earth? It says in Genesis chapter 6 that it says God opened up the floodgates of heaven. Imagine how much water had been stored up. And Noah for about 100 years worked on something, preparing for something they had never seen out of obedience so that he could 
save his family. They just think different. Abraham. Look what it says about Abraham. It says, Abraham, by faith when he was called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, Abraham did all kinds of things in faith, but he left his family, he left his friends, he left his home. In fact, not only did he live in tents the rest of his life, but the following generations of his offspring lived in tents as nomads during their lives, and he did it. Why? Because he thought differently and said, I would rather leave behind everything and follow what God has for me than to stay where I'm at and not be living where God would have me to live. People of faith just live different. Seriously, if you happen to be of those, and if you happen to be one of those people who not only gives to the Lord, but you give generously to the Lord, there are people that look at you and say, What are you thinking? Do you know what you could do with that? Those of you who invest your life into the lives of others, your life looks so different. I remember uh, when Tammy and I, um, when we were uh, finishing up college, we had just uh, finished pastoring at a little church while we were in college. Uh, we were in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, literally in the middle of a cornfield at uh, a little church called Wright Union Protestant Community Church. Um, the church was 110 years old, and I'm pretty sure I had two founding members who still came to that church. That was funny, but that's okay. You'll catch it later. <clears throat> By the way, I, was the, I had the longest pastorate that church had had in 20 years. I was there two years. I got the first raise any pastor had received in 20 years. When I started there, I made $50 a week. When I finished there, I made $55 a week. Because <laughs> life's been good to me. <laughs> Funny story, I had my own business, and I actually tied to the church more than what they paid me. So I always tell people that I was so bad at preaching, I had to pay people to listen to me. <laughs> so we knew we were going to move into a full-time ministry, and uh, um, we didn't know where we were going to go. And uh, we looked at youth ministries. I really wanted to be an associate pastor because I wanted to work for somebody older and kind of learn from them. I'd never had the opportunity of doing that. And... Um, we were invited actually to candidate, which is try out um, for, to a church that it, it turned out it was seven miles from where I grew up. And I did not want to go there. I really didn't. It was, um, you don't go into ministry for pay, but the pay was really good. It had a house that came with it. And I, I came out of school broke. Any of you come out of school broke? Okay, none of you did, but I did. And my wife was pregnant with our first child. But it was seven miles from where I grew up. Did any of you in high school not act like a Christian? Raise your hand. Did you? You all acted like Christians, and, I, and you are so much more saintly than the first hour crowd. Those old people, man, they were horrible. They all raised their hand, right? And so I didn't, I mean, that church, those kids would go to the high school that I went to. And it hadn't been that long, you know. But the worst thing is that I was, and I love my mom and dad, but I was just sure my mom and dad would start coming to that church. I love my mom and dad, but they know everything about me, and I really didn't want them 
coming, you know. And so because I didn't want to go there and I knew I'd be miserable, I just assumed that's what God wanted me to do, right? Because that's that's how messed up my brain was. And so I said, Lord, I think this is where you want us to go and it seems like the right choice and everything's good about it and, you know, we're going to take a step of faith and here's the deal. I told them I would come in two weeks and I would candidate. And then, and by the way, if you candidate, you're pretty much saying you're willing to go if they want you to come. And uh, I had preached at the church already, so they already knew me and everything. And, and I said, so if you want to change my li- mind, Lord, I, I think this is what you want, but I don't know. If you want to change our mind, you're going to have to do it really quick. Next morning, I get a phone call from uh, my home church pastor along with the district superintendent. And they said, Phil, we'd like you to consider Warsaw Church. Warsaw Church, uh, the church that had invited me was a church of about 170 people. Warsaw Church was a failed church plant. They had a building, they had debt, and they had 20 people. And we'd really like you to take a look at this church, and they can't pay you, Phil. But uh, this church, our home church, agreed to pay me as a missionary, and so they would pay me. The pay would be less than half of what we would have gotten at the other church. And so I said, you know, I, I've already said I'll go to this other church. And I said, um, and a candidate, I said, the only way I can come is if we come this next week. They said, come. Okay. And so we, we showed up at the church. I got food poisoning. And we had a congregational meeting that made me feel like I was watching the show Hee Haw. <laughs> because doom, despair, agony on me, whoa. I mean, that's what it is. If it weren't for bad luck, we'd have no luck at all, whoa. I mean, you talk about a downer meeting. The entire congregation showed up, 20 people. They had to tell them that if I go out of the room quickly, it's better for all of us that I go out of the room quickly because I had food poisoning. We get to the end of the meeting, we go to the altar, they say, hey, before we go, we want to pray. And we begin to pray, and God's presence just fell on that place. I began to weep, Tammy began to weep, those praying for us began to weep. And I got up and I um, turned to uh, the district superintendent, some of you will know the name, G.G. Wan, he was the district superintendent. He said, brother, when can you come? I said, I graduate on this day. I can be there in two days. I'll start the Monday after graduation. Get in the car. Look over at Tammy. I said, hey, I I just accepted the church. Is that okay? She's crying. She goes, yeah, it's fine. This is where we need to be. Called the other church chairman. I told him, I said, hey, this is what happened. I told you that we were going to candidate and My dad said, Phil, what are you doing? There's a reason that church is the way it is. Why would you turn down that other church? I don't know, Dad. All I can tell you is that God God wants us there. My family came to love that little church. My mom and dad made it down there at least once a a month. They loved that little church. Unbeknownst, we had no idea. Five years later, we, were, we, were, we felt called to another church that didn't make any sense whatsoever. It was a, 
church that was all messy. Half the church had left in a split. Um, my dad just said, Joe, what are you doing? Why, why, everything's going so well. Why would you, I don't know, Dad. We just feel like they need us. By the way, Tammy was sure about that one before I was. Six years later, we got a call from Colonial Woods. I had lived 20 miles from my mom and dad. Never thought we'd ever be close to family again in ministry, but we lived 20 minutes away. Now I had to go out and tell my mom and dad that we were going to be moving four and a half hours away. My dad was sitting on the back swing in the backyard, and I, I went up to him and I said, Hey, Dad, um, Tammy and I, uh, we sense uh, that God is calling us to Michigan about four and a half hours away. My dad was getting older, and we had his grandkids, and I can't tell you how it blessed me. I only remember two times in my life my dad shook my hand. My dad reached out his hand and he shook my hand. And he said, well, Phil, I don't understand it. But it seems like every time you've made a decision, God's blessed it. You don't think a life of faith makes an impact on somebody else? I'm not lifting us up as a model of faith. I'm just telling you, when you're living by faith, you think differently. Number three, the third characteristic, we've got to close it up here pretty quick. The third characteristic that I notice is that they understand the power of the word through. People, it says in verse 14, people who say such things, they show that they're, they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have returned. Instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Look down at verse 32. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, and they refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. I'm going to read this again. Verse 35, look what it says. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others didn't. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Some faced jeers, some faced flogging, others were chained, some were put in prison, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they were destitute, persecuted, sheepskin, and, uh, they walked around in sheepskin and goatskins, they were mistreated. He said the world was not worthy of them, but they were all, verse 39, commended for their faith. I want you to hear something, please. Some overcome by faith and some are victorious by faith. 
and some aren't. And there is this idea out there that if I have enough faith and of the highest quality faith, I will never walk through suffering. Well, then you've got to explain that passage. Because some people walk through the fire by faith. Some are rescued from the fire by faith, and some walk through the fire by faith. But they are all people that are commended for their faith. And I love the word through. A number of years ago, I came across a guy by the name of Bill. Bill had, uh, was a business owner. In the previous year, he had lost his marriage, he had lost his business, and he had lost his reputation. And he said to me, uh, we were talking about the 23rd Psalm. And he said, you know what my favorite word in the 23rd Psalm is? I said, no, what is it? And he said, it's the word through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he says, you know why I'm so encouraged by that? Because it tells me I'm not always going to be in the shadow of the valley of death. I'm not always going to be in this moment in my life. I'm not always going to be in this trial. I'm not, there is a better day coming, either here or there, but I'm not always going to be in. And so uh, let me finish the, 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 the fill in the blanks for you. Finishing faith helps me to endure the temporary. Finishing faith enables me to see past the immediate. And finishing faith enables me to navigate what I would have thought was unimaginable. The life principle that comes from this is that my faith is more than just the immediate. Number four, fourth characteristic of a faith that finishes well is that it understands the power of legacy. When the author says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, what he is saying is that the faith that we exhibit in our lives bears testimony into the lives of those around us. Now I'm especially thinking of some of our senior saints that are here this morning. Some of you have been walking in the Lord a relatively short amount of time. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for 80 plus years. But can I just share with you that when you finish well, it makes and it speaks into the lives of your kids. And you may not see the prodigal come home in this life. You may not. But you finishing well will bear testimony. And, and Tammy and I, we're, we're, we're not in any way, you know, we're not, we're not trying to be morbid or, or preoccupied with death. But we do realize something as an empty nester. We really do. We have more years behind us than what we have ahead of us. In ministry, I'd be shocked if I got more years ahead of me than I have behind me. Okay. Now, I might, be the, the, I might be up here preaching at you when I'm 84, but more than likely not. Take your Bibles. <laughs> Take your Bibles. Whoop, I already said that. Yeah, that'd be kind of what I'll be doing, right? <laughs> I already can't remember what stories I shared from the first service to the second. I can't imagine what that'd be like, right? And my knees kind of ache, and i got to be honest with you, my, my wrist kind of hurts. And You may find this really hard to believe. I don't run as fast as I used to. <laughs> I never ran fast. I'm, I'm slow. 
But what God has put on my heart is, Phil, I want you to, I want you to finish well. I want you to run through the tape. There are going to be ups, there are going to be downs, there are going to be failures. More than likely, I'll have failure. By God's grace, you're going to get up and you're going to finish well. One of the things I love about the Iron Man, Iron Woman competition are the personal interest stories. They always tell a story that's inspiring. And I learned not long ago of the story of Team Hoyt. It's a father-son duo that have competed together in over 1,100 endurance competitions. They have run marathons, triathlons. They have competed in seven Ironman, Iron Woman competitions. What makes this unique is that in 1962, when Rick was born, he was diagnosed with a severe form of cerebral palsy. Here's his story. 1962, we knew there was something wrong, but we did not know exactly what. <laughs> the doctor said, forget Rick. Put him away, put him in an institution. He's gonna be nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. We cried a little bit. We talked and we said, no, we're not going to put Rick away. We're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. We knew Rick was smart. We could tell by looking in his eyes. And when we talked to him, we, you know, he was paying attention to what we were saying. So we wanted to get a computer built so Rick could communicate with us. Everybody came to our house that night for Rick to say his first words, and everybody was betting, you know, what is the first words Rick is ever going to say? His mom saying, it's going to be, hi, mom, and me, the dad, saying, oh, it's going to be, hi, dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words Rick ever said was, go Bruins. is my motivator he inspires me to me he's the one out there competing and i'm just loaning him my arms and my legs so that he can compete there's just something that gets into me when i'm out there competing with rick that i can't explain it and we're able to go faster and it, it's just an unbelievable feeling rick and i love the Ironman triathlon to be out there competing with the best triathletes in the world to be accepted to compete along with these triathletes just to be out there on that pier with all the other triathletes and then waiting in the water for that cannon to go off it, it was just so exciting he lives a happier life probably than 95 percent of the population rick would tell you that uh, you know if he if he was physically able to do something, that he'd probably play basketball or football or hockey. But then he always says, no, the first thing he'd do is sit down, have me sit down in his wheelchair and he'd push me. You know, it really makes me feel good that, uh, that you know, he, he appreciates, you know, what I'm trying to do to help him out, and he'd do the same thing for me.
can only imagine when all I would do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Two point four miles with his son in tow. One hundred and twelve miles with his son sitting in the front of his bike. Twenty six miles pushing his son across the finish line. First three times I watched this, I bawled. And it wasn't because of Rick. It was because of the love of his dad. And all I could think of was that someday we're going to run across the finish line and there's going to be all kinds of applause. And I don't think it's going to be as much for me as to my heavenly Father who got me across the line. Who towed me along when I didn't want to. Who carried me when I couldn't carry myself. See, you're here this morning. Some of you are here and you're afraid to begin the journey because you're afraid you're not going to make it. No, you see, that's not that. When you begin the journey, the Heavenly Father promises that he who began a good work in you will bring it into completion until that day we stand before him. Jude chapter 24 says to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and without with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You can make it because he's going to carry you. And you can get up from whatever failure you're in because he's going to lift you. And you can run through the finish line, not because you're all that and I'm all that. It's because he's all that and he's already paid the price. Amen. Don't be afraid to start the journey. And a 15-year-old girl come down at the end of the service last night to some of our prayer partners, and she just, she shocked us. She said, I want to come to Christ. She began the journey last night. You can keep on the journey, Mom. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've invited us on the journey. Thank you that we can walk in your strength. Thank you that we can run strong. And even when we feel like we're, our strength is giving out, you are able. Encourage moms and dads. Encourage men today. That men would become a, a, a leader in their homes. That men would, that men would be a spiritual pastor 
into the lives of those around them. Be with moms who just feel like they want to give up. Be with those that right now, they're so, and they just, their bodies are giving out. But Lord, their spirit is still willing. Give us the ability, Lord, to finish and finish well. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.